latest data on charitable giving in the United States from our good friends at the Fundraising Effectiveness Project. Hi, I'm Bill Stajakiewicz. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by Ben Miller. Ben is the Senior Vice President of Data Science and Analytics at Ontera, and he volunteers as Chair of the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, and he's here to help us understand the latest data on charitable giving in 2023. Ben, great to have you with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Happy to be here, Bill. Thank you. And we've had an opportunity to hear data from the Fundraising Effectiveness Project on this podcast, but for folks who might be hearing from you and your group for the first time, what is the Fundraising Effectiveness Project? So the Fundraising Effectiveness Project is a project that stemmed out of the AFP, which is the Association for Fundraising Professionals. Uh, and a while back, used to have Urban um, Institute as well involved. And now today, it is co-sponsored by the AFP and Giving Tuesday. And what it does is it brings data providers. Uh, the four data providers for the report we'll be looking at today were uh, Neon One, Donor Perfect, Bloomerang, and uh, Kila. And what they do is they contribute anonymized data so that it's not any personal identifiable information. It's all anonymized, but we are able to resolve onto a, a unique donor so that we can track donor behavior, whether they're giving multiple gifts in a given year, whether they give uh, again the following year, so retaining. And so it's it's kind of, it's taking a, a lower approach, a granular approach to find out what the giving behavior is for donors and reporting it back out to the sector. It's over 20,000 organizations uh, data that is collected and uh, we report on a quarterly basis. Now, Ben, am I remembering correctly that intentionally the data set does not include the medical field and post-secondary education? Those two alone are half of the sector. Help our uh, audience understand the data collection strategy there, please. Absolutely. We, we are beholden to the, the data providers, right? So we do not... Uh, purposely leave out any, uh, but a lot of times the higher ed and, and med type of organizations will have their own bespoke uh, warehouses that keep their data together. And so they do not typically use a data provider in that way. And so, yes, it is underrepresented. We do try to modify the data uh, to account for the um, the stratification that we have across the sector. And so we do weigh our data toward what are current things, which is heavily focused on human services organizations at the moment. But there are some higher ed and there are some, you know, smaller higher ed and smaller uh, medical uh, medical organizations that are represented in the data. And, and that's the, the positive way to look at this is, you know, kind of everyday nonprofits have a better chance of seeing themselves in these data since the larger folks at the university levels and hospitals typically are not in this data set. So in that way, it is representative of a lot of folks in the nonprofit sector. And, and again, to get back, are you tracking a nonprofit and the donations that come in? Or if I'm a donor, do you give me a number and do you follow me around based on wherever I donate? And you know, what happens if I give you know two gifts, of, let's say $500 to two separate nonprofits, but then the next year I put that into $1,000 to a third nonprofit? Are you following me? Or are you counting those don donations to the nonprofits? Excellent question. So the, the answer is no, we are not following you from organization to organization. Um, because it's anonymous, we do give a randomized number to you, say Bill, uh, but we you may have a different randomized number for different organizations. So we do keep track within the organization that you have give, come back. Um, we hope that in future iterations, we would be able to do, anonymize the data and track you across, but that will require some hashing algorithms that we just haven't figured out yet because we have to protect the data and the privacy of the of the 
you know, nonprofits data that we have. And longtime viewers and listeners of this podcast know we say this all the time. All data sets have limitations. There's no such thing as a perfect data set. We just want to know what is in the data set that's being reported. And Ben, what's being reported thus far for 2023? So we have our Q1 report out and it's not looking good. Uh, it, we have a decline in donors and a decline in in dollars. And we have to modify. There's a strange phenomenon that happens with our data set, which is that there is a lag of data being reported. So what happens is because we're not the accounting system of record that has to be closed out, say, on a monthly basis, the database can his, have its history change <laughs> up to a year later. Um, and so what happens is that when we initially over pr produce our report, we have noticed that there's a shift and we have measured that shift and we have modified and modeled for the shift. And so while our initial report in Q1 had pretty significant declines, um, the current uh, estimate is that we're going to have a negative 3.8% decline in donors for Q3, I'm sorry, for Q1 of 2023, and a just about even at a point 0.7% decline in dollars um, in 2023. I do want to caveat that this is coming off of a historic uh, bump. We had 2021 and 2020 had really large increases in donations and donors, you know, through COVID and some of the social justice movements. So while we do see a decline, I just want to make sure that I, you know, make sure that it is clear that it is because of a historic increase that we are now seeing a historic decrease. And uh, when you say down, uh, you know, um, donors down and dollars just about breaking even, although just a little bit down, is that compared to the previous quarter? Is it compared to the same quarter of the previous year? What's the comparison point? So we run the four quarters. So it's always January 1st to whatever. So this would be January 1st to March 31st of 2023 compared to January 1st of March uh, 31st of 2022. So comparing to the previous year, the same quarter of the previous year. And we first met online when I was asking that question about previous years. When I teach for the fundraising school, Giving USA the annual snapshot to me is interesting. I love showing we have a graph that shows 40 years of trend data. Um, and in fact, the Giving USA, as you know, uh, for 2022, uh, the dollars uh, were down about 3%. Um, you know, they all adjusting for inflation down almost 11%. But compared to 2019, pretty darn similar after adjusting for inflation. And I know at the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, you folks are trying to get some of those longer comparison windows as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that's awesome about the data set we have is we can do that longitudinal study. And so what we have seen is that from 2012 to present, that there has been this separating of dollars and donors. Um, dollars has increased something around 34% and donors have declined around 12% since that time. So to your point, if we take out the COVID bump, there is sort of a regression to the mean that we're still kind of on that longer term trend. But the longer term trend is seeing fewer donors giving more money. And Ben, do we know why that is? Is it that fundraisers are focusing only on those middle and higher income donors or donors in the you know, kind of the bottom quintiles of the economy being asked and being just saying no? Are they not being asked at all? Are there economic factors involved with this? As you analyze these data, what do you and your team at the Fundraising Effectiveness Project come up with? Sure, and I'll caveat that these are just my own you know, assumptions of what I see is going out. We don't have any causal data that can draw a line distinctly from the action to what's happening. But I think there is a widening gap with the very wealthy and the lower uh, middle and lower class incomes. I think that's contributing to it. I think 
there is something going on with the societal fabric of our, you know, where we are less engaged. I've seen studies out there about uh, non, uh, volunteers declining, volunteer participations declining. Uh, I've also seen studies that indicate uh, going religious uh, participation has gone down and declined. And so I think there is something happening where we are becoming less connected um, societally and that that may be what's what we're seeing here. I mean, you know, I've been having this discussion a lot with a lot of different people and and uh, Josh Burkholz from Giving USA when he was talking with me that he likes to say that you see what your parents do and you kind of do the same thing. And so you model behavior. And so passing the plate at church or, or, you know, seeing your parents go out and volunteer or, you know, it's learned behavior and we're, we're seeming to lose that learned behavior to some extent. Right. And maybe it's the digital uh, part of our world now. It's kind of allows us to sit on our phone for two hours and the world slips by. I, I don't know. These are all just posits, uh, but I do believe um, there are plenty of indicators that is, the engage, social engagement is declining. What are you seeing at Bonterra? For example, uh, people are using your online systems. Uh, we saw the horrible tragedy in Lahaina, for example, and yet a huge outpouring of financial support, uh, charitable giving. Some people might say, well, yes, that's episodic. Others might say it does show that there is generosity still possible. How about with, with you and your colleagues at Bonterra? What are you seeing in, in giving behavior? Well, you hit on something that's really great, which is that there, given the chance, that part of our body, our mind that activates, we are generous people. And when there is something that we can all clearly see that motivation, um, like the Israeli-Palestine conflict or like, um, you know, the social justice movements I was referencing before, or when COVID, when people were out of jobs and needed, people react and they are overflowing with generosity. And you can see that through Bonterra. You see it every time there's anything, there's a big influx of, of people. I think it's creating those moments um, to give so that they don't become episodic. That is, is the trick. And um, and so th th that that is an issue. I, I would also say, I, I see it in my personal life too. Like I'm a, I coach, I'm a volunteer on the coach. I volunteer in the, on the fundraising effectiveness project. I coach soccer. Every year, there are fewer people that are doing this, right? And um, and it it every year I get the same email, like if you don't coach, then your son might not be able to play on the team, you know, like, and, and so the same people are at the table, at the fundraising effectiveness project that are volunteering. And um, I think, I, I really do think there's something happening and that we really need to address and pay attention to, to, to fix. And at the fundraising school, our point of emphasis is if our neighbors who are kind of in the moderate to lower income ranges aren't donating, let it not be because we are not asking them. I mean, there could be yes. such a push on ROI, return on investment, which we teach at the fundraising school, which is a very important data management of our fundraising team. But let's make sure we're including everybody. Philanthropy is part of the human condition. As Ben said so well, uh, generosity does exist. How do we explain $10 million responding to the DeMar Hamlin incident, incident uh, right. early in 2023? It's making people aware of our case as best we can. Uh, ben, uh, where can people find more information about the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, including the latest data that you've talked about today? So it is on the AFP Global site, but I'm going to tell you those abbreviated URL because it's easier to get to and it will redirect you there. So it's afpfep.org. If you go to that, you'll be redirected to the Fundraising Effectiveness Project's uh, URL. afpfep.org for the Fundraising Effectiveness Project.
uh, a wonderful data set and take a look at all of them. Take a look at Giving USA, the high net worth donor study, all the different uh, data that are out there and do your synthesis and use these for your planning uh, as you're preparing for you know the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, with these historic and real-time data. Uh, the data are so central to our teaching at the fundraising school. Wherever possible, our content is research-based, evidence-based from the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and good friends and colleagues like the Fundraising Effectiveness Project and so many others. This comes across in our public courses, nearly two dozen of them that we offer in person and online, leading to four different certificates. We also have custom training. We can tailor-make curriculum just for your nonprofit, your region, your association, whatever the case might be in the United States and anywhere across the world. We have quarterly webinars and of course these free podcasts and our techniques and information and wisdom and knowledge are gathered in our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. Our website is philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. I'm so grateful to Ben Miller. He is the Senior Vice President of Data Science and Analytics at Monterra and a volunteer right now chairing the Fundraising Effectiveness Project. Our producers today, Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.